today on Ag News Daily. There's been a couple university studies, um, I think I know one in Germany, where they you know, proved out the idea that you could kill a weed with thermal energy or laser energy, um, but we're really the first to commercialize this. Good afternoon and happy Tech Tuesday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I know that you have been quite busy today, but I, on the other hand, have not been. I've been feeling a little bit lazy today, but I've been doing some editing and different things for the network all on my couch. So I have had a pretty relaxing, I guess, kind of day so far. Well, that is good for you, Ashton. You're right. I haven't had a super easy day yet today. Things have just been crazy. The markets have been crazy today. We kicked out some information for our subscribers here at Trader PhD. So we're trying to get ready to have a little broadcast here before we were recording and everything just happens all at once as it usually does. So... Well, I'm certainly excited to hear what's happening in the markets today. So I'm just going to go ahead and kick things off with some news so we can go ahead and get to that portion because I haven't been watching them as closely as you have today, Delaney. But I'm going to kick things off talking about CFAP. I feel like we haven't talked about CFAP in quite a while, but the USDA has announced that they are updating the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program 2 for contract producers of eligible livestock and poultry and producers of special crops and other sales-based commodities. CFAP 2, of course, is part of USDA's larger pandemic assistance for producers initiative. In addition to program updates, the FSA recently announced an October 12th deadline for farmers to apply or modify their application. And there's honestly been quite a bit of updates and flexibility changes, so I won't announce all of those. I'll leave it up to our listeners who are interested in this to view it. I'm going to put it in our weekly network newsletter, Delaney, but I will say that sign up for CFAP2 was reopened in March and it remains open to address an adequate initial outreach efforts to reach underserved producers and particularly those who produce sales commodities, newly eligible producers who need to submit a CFAP2 application or producers who need to modify an existing one can do so by contacting their local FSA office. Yeah, that's crazy to think we're still having some CFAP news, Ashton, because we certainly haven't had any in quite some time. But I want to take things over here to talking about the markets, because I think there really were two reasons we saw soybeans up on the day today and corn both at some point throughout the trading session. We saw both markets see some strength today, but definitely soybeans closed significantly higher on the day uh, compared to corn. But yesterday, of course, we got our crop progress report and that delivered a slight downgrade for both corn and soybeans. Corn is now sitting in 60% good to excellent condition, down 2% from the week prior, and soybeans dropped one percentage point down now to 56% sitting in just good to excellent conditions. However, the bigger piece of news I think for today was exports because we saw once again a large shipment of corn headed to Mexico. More specifically, we saw 125,300 tons of corn headed to Mexico, as well as 132,000 tons of soybeans headed to China. And this morning so far, we have, excuse me, this afternoon so far as of wrapping up the markets for today, we've definitely seen those two pieces of demand add a little support to the markets. And so I think that's definitely playing out here as well. 
We also are seeing soybean oil up today, about 3.4% on the day. Meal is also up on the day today. So overall, it seems that there are some supportive things going on to the soybean markets. And we're starting to maybe potentially trade some of this news that we're not going to have quite as much production in the pipeline as once originally thought. So definitely seems like we've had a little bit of a rally here over the past couple of days. Uh, but seasonally, you got to keep in mind, this is typically the time of year when things start to head south, uh, just because of getting ready for harvest, we start to see some of that crop hit the, hit the pipeline. So definitely could be a short term rally that we're seeing, but there has been a little life in the markets. And it's certainly exciting to watch that happen. Well, Delaney, I've got a little bit of foul news pun definitely intended because <laughs> I am talking about uh, Thanksgiving turkeys because there seems to be a shortage that's going to be anticipated this year. We talked last year about a, a shortage as well, and it's continuing on, it looks like, into the 2021 holiday, unfortunately. While there's an overall shortage, the bigger issue is a shortage of the most popular size of fowls under 16 pounds. And there continues to be, of course, a labor shortage. And so it seems to be that mixed with COVID-19 shutdowns and, and those kinds of things and a labor shortage that we might not see as many turkeys or turkey production this year. And the result of this is a 1.5% or about an 85 million pound decline in turkey production from 2020. This paired with decreasing cold storage inventories has meant a 13% increase in the cost of frozen whole hens to about $1.16 per pound. And on top of that, the cost of meat processing has gone up throughout the pandemic as processors have made significant investments in their facilities to keep doors open and employees safe. But if you're also thinking, you know, I'm just going to switch over to ham, unfortunately, the shortages are not unique to turkey. It was said that there are similar issues with boneless hams and value-added pork, so I don't know what we're going to be eating for Thanksgiving this year, Delaney. I know that we're only in August here, but Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays, so I'm not too sure what's going to happen uh, come November. Well, I'm not in love with turkey, but I feel like you have to eat it at Thanksgiving time. You're right. But we're we're more of a ham family, I do have to say, for Thanksgiving and Christmas. So hopefully, you know, we won't see as much of a decline in boneless hams as we might be anticipating. But I'm going to keep my eye out on this. And I'm sure that we're going to have more information as the Thanksgiving holiday approaches us. Oh, wow. I totally misunderstood your story, Ash. And I was thinking you were talking about turkey and you were talking about ham. Yeah, my brain is not working at full capacity today. That's no, no, for no. sure. I was, I was talking. I was talking about turkeys. You know, we were seeing such a sharp decline in comparison to last year. But similar trends are happening in ham. I just don't have those details handy. Okay, got it. Okay, I did follow the story correctly. My brain is working at mm, half capacity, we'll say for now. But uh I wanted to touch base here briefly on weather because we are seeing some continued rainfall chances for the western Midwest as well as the southern plains. Some areas that really need to see some rain for sure are having some potential for that. However, I would say it's with a caveat that there are still a lot of large holes in some of these regions. So we're seeing some pretty active storm cells move into some key growing areas. But like I said, going to be a lot of 
big holes, big areas that are still going to kind of be uh, not receiving some of those timely rains. And we're also seeing a front across southern Brazil become more active this week, which will continue to push north. And this is an area that drastically needs rain. I don't remember if I mentioned it last week on the podcast, Ashton, but I chatted with with Eric Snodgrass on Tuesday last week, just as I usually do. And I'll chat with him again today. But last week when we were talking about South America, he mentioned the potential that South America could still be continuing to have some production issues and drought issues heading into this growing season for their soybeans, which typically soybean planting starts around the middle of September. And so Eric's indicating as of last week, the models were indicating that we're going to see continued hot and dry weather for South America, which again, we just really can't afford to have any sort of a production issue, whether that's here in the United States or down in South America, or we could face the very real potential to see some pretty tight supplies. And so I think that's just kind of an ongoing larger story to keep an eye on here is what's going on in South America, especially as we creep along here heading into harvest season. Well, Delaney, we're keeping things short today. So I'm really all out of news to talk about. So do you have anything else to share with us before we hop into the markets? I certainly don't think I do, Ashton. That was kind of my big news for today too. But as I mentioned earlier at the top of the hour here, we saw some big movements in the corn and soybean markets today. September corn closed up six and a half cents, closing at 544 and a half. The D up nine and three quarters cents to close at 545 and a quarter. In the soybean pits today, the September contract adding 43 cents to close at 1337, though November up 39 cents to close at 1331 and three quarters. Hopping over into livestock pits today, we saw some weakness, but we've continued to push higher in the live cattle and feeder cattle markets. And today we saw that pullback just slightly. The October contract down a quarter to close at 131.70. The Dece up 57 and a half cents to close at 137.40. And hopping down into the lean hog markets, the weakness continued today to end October lower 50 cents to close at 86.97. The Dece down 62 and a half cents to close at 80.77 and a half. And wrapping up things here with our class three dairy milk futures. The September contract down seven cents today to close at 17.38. The October down six cents to close at 17.24. Ashton, without further ado, fill us in on who we're talking to for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday interview. Well, we're talking some awesome robotics with John May from Carbon Robotics. Well, for today's Tech Tuesday interview, we are talking to John May, who is the Director of Product at Carbon Robotics. John, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. Thanks for having me. So, John, before we get started talking about the technology, and I'm very excited to talk about what you guys are doing at Carbon Robotics, let's talk about you for a second. How did you get involved in the ag tech realm? So, my education is in mechanical engineering, um, and I've been in robotics for quite some time, most recently at an aerospace aircraft assembly automation company um, where I sold and engineered robots to build aircrafts for Boeing and Lockheed Martin and all those suppliers. Um, and then, you know, Paul, our CEO and founder started this in 2018 um, towards the end of the year. And, you know, he's got a, a really great path uh, or a record for starting um, technology startups. 
And his background is primarily in software. So when he approached me to help with the hardware side, I was like immediately excited. You know, I've always wanted to do something good for the earth and good for society. So I, you know, jumped at the opportunity to help build this company. That's awesome and very interesting. And so when we're talking about Carbon Robotics, the, the company is very interesting as well and what you guys are, are offering. So let's dive into that and talk a little bit more about this autonomous weeder that you guys have. Yeah, so right now we have you know pretty large robot that's you know size of a large SUV and it has a diesel engine that's a Cummins 74 horsepower diesel engine that has you know a whole hydraulic package to drive the motors. It's um, you know, fully driving, fully self-driving, self-steering. Um, and then it has some really high-tech computers in it that run our deep learning um, that, use, that uses computer vision to identify the weeds. And then we use super high-powered uh, CO2 lasers, which is the same kind of laser you'd find in industrial laser cutting. So stuff that can cut wood and metal. Um, and we use those to aim at the merry stem of the weed and and basically destroy them. So John, is this technology something that we've seen in the ag tech world before? I think that the lasers are, are incredibly interesting and I'm not super familiar with anything like this. So is this really the, the one kind of robot that we're seeing on the market of its kind? Definitely. Yeah, there's there's been a couple university studies. Um, I think I know of one in Germany where they you know, proved out the idea that you could kill a weed with thermal energy or laser energy. Um, but we're really the first to commercialize this and we're going, you know, full steam ahead, getting this out to farmers. So they really desperately need it. So when you're wanting to, you're wanting to get out to, to farmers, John, and so what kind of farmers are you working with? Is this simply for, you know, row crops or, um, you know, what sectors are you looking for? Yeah, initially um, we're breaking into organics and then conventional, um, primarily specialty crops. So things like lettuce, carrots, broccoli, onions, you know, all that. Um, where we really shine is high density crops because of our lasers having, you know, a five millimeter diameter, we can shoot in between the, the crop and target weeds that are almost impossible to see. Um, but there's no uh, mechanical solution that can do that. So it's really lasers are the only solution. That is really incredible. I, I find this stuff super interesting because, you know, like I said, I haven't seen anything really like this before. And so when we're talking a little bit more about the, the robot itself, how does it work? Do you have to have somebody there operating it and kind of watching over it? Or is this a 24-7 and it does it itself? How does it really operate? Yeah, so primarily right now we have people in the fields that are there to check that it's performing properly. So we need to make sure that we're targeting the weeds and not the crops and making sure that we know about all the weeds that are in a field. You know, there can be up, you know, up to a dozen different types of weeds. And as we break into new states and new regions, we're having to update that stuff. So mostly you have people there to check the performance, um, but the thing drives itself up and down the rows, turns around at the end of the rows by itself. Um, so it's more of a, uh, a babysitting situation right now. Gotcha. And John, you mentioned at the start of our conversation that you wanted to do things to kind of help the planet. And so when we're talking about the autonomous weeder, what are some benefits that you guys are seeing to the fields after using this? So for the organic growers, um, 
their options are basically limited to hand weeding. Um, and, you know, if you're going through a field with, you know, 50 person crew and pulling weeds out of the ground, you're disturbing that soil. A lot of the time you can pull up some of the roots, um, stuff like mint will actually be removed from the ground as you pull weeds. Um, so there we're helping with, uh, not disturbing the soil. And then with conventional, you know, we can reduce the amount of herbicides that they have to use, which is a huge benefit to the earth and, you know, the population. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty great. And with the conventional growers, they're definitely able to see an increase in their yield because the herbicides can not only kill the weeds, but it can knock back the, the crops. So you guys sold out for the 2021 growing season, but where can farmers or producers go to maybe get in contact about incorporating this on their operation for the 2022 growing season? So we are basically sold out for 2022 as well. Um, the demand has been incredible, which is awesome to see. Um, but we are doing demos through California and, and Arizona, heading out to Yuma pretty soon here. Um, so if they want to reach out through our website, um, I take most of those and, and filter them and reach out to farmers to see if they'd like to come see a demo, if we can plan a demo for their field so they can see it in their crop and their fields. We found that, you know, seeing is believing and after the farmers see it, they're, they're on board. Well, that is very incredible that you guys are already almost sold out for the 2022 growing season. That is certainly good news to hear. But John, I just want to thank you once more for coming on and talking to us today. And good luck to all at the Carbon Robotics team for the upcoming year. All right. Thanks, Ashton. again there to John for joining us and talking about that today. I definitely think that AI is pretty interesting, although I'm not going to lie to you, the creepy AI movies, they definitely scare me, all the human-like robots. But luckily, the autonomous weeder is not a human-like robot. Like he said, it's about a little bit bigger or as big as a SUV. So I don't think we have to worry about those taking over the world just yet. No, it certainly sounds like that is not the case as of yet, Ashton, but it's interesting to see some of this new technology come to light and play out in the ag industry. You know, things like machine learning, AI technology, not artificial insemination, but we're talking artificial intelligence in this instance. There's just a lot of interesting stuff going on. See, I like that you had to announce that we're not talking about artificial insemination. I definitely used to be one of those people that would get confused a lot. But now that we've done so many Tech Tuesday interviews, I don't get as confused as I used to. So, folks, I hope you are learning right along with me at agnewsdaily.com. And I hope that you're also following along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at agnewsdaily to keep up with all the interesting things that we are talking about. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.